As their car pulled through the gates of MGM, Arthur Ross Lockridge Jr. and his wife Bernice stared out the window at the grand facade as they entered the world of Hollywood filmmaking. They'd come a long way. The Lockridges arrived in Hollywood in late 1947 to meet with executives at MGM about the film version of his book, Rangewood County. While they are in hopes of reversing the author's recent depression, they looked at possible places to live, thinking a move might boost his spirits. However, the trip never delivered the improvement to Lockridge's emotional state, nor did they find the home they were looking for. They returned to Indiana, where instead he and his wife bought a large new home in Bloomington, Indiana. He'd come home to the city where he was born. As handsome as movie star Montgomery Clift, all the fame and fortune in the world didn't seem to help Ross Lockridge Jr. He would die by his own hand on March 6, 1948, by killing himself with the exhaust fume from his car after locking himself in his garage. In the backyard of his home, not far from the garage where the 33-year-old man ended his life, his children planted a rain tree shortly after his death. While it survived, every June the tree would cover the ground with golden blossoms. Welcome once again to Hollywood Declassified. I am John William, your host. I am the author of a new book called The Longest Suicide in Hollywood, The Death and Life of Montgomery Clift. And we are talking about the making of Ranger County. Uh, we offered a snippet or a pre-preview pre, episode, I guess you could say, uh, recently. And we're now kind of kicking off the series with episode one. Uh, we are going to really talk mainly about the making of Ranger County. Um, and uh, some of the impact of that film. Um, as I mentioned, the, the book that this, some of this story, or a large part of this, this series is based, is a, is a book that's, that's just recently been released. And it covers about a 10-year period. So the book is really focuses on the, um, there's a little bit of kind of the introduction to who Montgomery Clift was as an actor and, and where he came from and how he kind of climbed into, into the Hollywood ladder of success. Um, but the bulk of the book really starts at kind of the period where he would um, enter into the work on the film Brain Tree County in 1956. And it would cover that period, that the filmmaking process Process, which, uh, again, as I, I mentioned in the first episode, there's a uh, it was a horrific car crash that nearly killed Montgomery Clift and and uh, had a big impact on him personally and professionally. He would return and complete Braintree County, uh, but the film's success it was originally kind of intended or hoped to be a, a kind of. Uh, another version of Gone with the Wind is what MGM had really hoped it was going to be. Uh, there were a lot of kind of striking similarities between Gone with the Wind and, and Ranger County, but at the same time, there was also some stark differences as well. Uh, but uh, he would film the, the movie, complete the work, um, in, in, in some respects believing his career was probably over after this car crash because he felt that he had been disfigured. Uh, the film that they would film that released the film, people would go to the film to basically see if they could kind of spot the, the periods when, uh, when he filmed before the crash and after the crash. Uh, Montgomery Kiff, though, would kind of recover from this. He would, uh, would go on to have a career after this. He would do, in fact, the equal number of films after Ranger County as he did before. Um, but it would kind of begin this kind of uh, descent for him, or, or continue the descent, I should say, because many will argue that um, Montgomery Cliff's kind of, you know, drug and alcohol abuse that would have be begun before Ranger County, and Ranger County really didn't kind of in 
didn't change that trajectory in some ways, but in other ways, it did. The the accident that he had introduced a whole new series of kind of drugs, prescription medication for him to deal with that he added to his kind of collection of things, and it would sort of extend and expand the problem even more so. And then the effect of the the, the crash itself and the impact of that emotionally on him um, took a toll and physically as well. So it would sort of begin this period of of a, a slow kind of demise, I, w- I would argue or say. And he would do a number of films after this. So um, uh, he would uh, die in, in the mid to late 60s, in 1966, uh, after filming a movie called The Defector. And um, we won't go into all of the films. We're really going to focus this series pr- primarily on uh, on Raintree County and the crash uh, the completion of the film and the release of the film. So you'll get a handful of episodes, and obviously, if you're interested in more on the the entire story, you can kind of look for a copy of the book, um, which is uh, again called "The Longest Suicide in Hollywood," and is available um, at booksellers all over the world. In fact, Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble and iTunes has an enhanced edition, etc. The movie Raintree County is based on a 1,066-page novel, which is also called Raintree County by Ross Lockridge, Jr. It captures the sensitive, striking characters facing destructive times at the outset of the Civil War, as a young man from Indiana searches for his roots. Madness and desperation, along with expansive backdrops, made the story perfect for the movie screen. And after years of hard work, Lockridge's book garnered glowing reviews and became a bestseller in 1947. Its author became famous, and before it was even published, MGM bought the rights and announced the plan for an epic film. Lockridge was a young literary scholar from Indiana. He took six years to craft a sprawling story that chronicles America's evolution through the generation impacted by the Civil War. In 1947, with help from his publisher, he entered the book into an MGM story contest that resulted in a $150,000 contract for the film rights. With the book deal and a movie deal to follow, things seemed too good to be true, and in some ways they were. From the movie deal, the check from MGM was contingent upon Lockridge agreeing to cut 50,000 words from his book, even after he'd already been forced to make cuts and changes requested by his publisher for the book's initial release. The cuts became agonizing tasks he agreed to, but would result in a deep depression and disappointment at having to change his vision in order to get his book into print, and then only to tear into the story apart again to further to get a movie deal out of it. Rainter County still became a bestseller and landed on the Book of the Month Club, and the price for the film rights reportedly escalated to $250,000, earning Lockridge more money than he'd ever imagined. The announcement of the movie made the book even more popular. It was in the fall of 1947 that Lockridge and his publishers had a dispute over the division of MGM's prize money for the book. As disagreements dragged on and changes cut through his book, Lockridge felt cheated and disappointed over the entire experience and felt betrayed by Hollywood. In early March 1948, just two months after the book was officially released, he told his wife he was going out to the post office one afternoon. He went to the garage, closed the door, and turned on the ignition to his car. He attached a vacuum cleaner hose to the exhaust pipe and committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. His family found him dead inside the car after breaking into the garage. 
The tragedy, along with a disappointing original screenplay, caused MGM to shelve plans for the movie. It was decided that the film would be too costly to bring to life on the big screen. Several writers struggled to adapt the novel but failed to deliver a useful screenplay. The story goes that roughly seven years later, by chance, the idea of the film was resurrected when Millard Kaufman, a young writer at the studio, was pulled off a movie he was working on. He was reportedly working on a script for a film called Bannon that was intended to star Spencer Tracy and Montgomery Clift. The story was about the conflict between an older man and a young leader in the same labor union. Kaufman ran screaming into the office of the head of MGM's story department, Ken McKenna, complaining about being unable to work out the finer points in the story. Trying to calm Kaufman down, McKenna grabbed a book off his bookshelf and told Kaufman to go home and read the book while the studio paid him. McKenna had no idea he had given him Raintree County. Several days later, Kaufman returned to McKenna, telling him he wanted to write the movie version of the book he had just read. Kaufman then crafted a 200-page draft screenplay that jettisoned roughly a quarter of the events of the novel but managed to retain the spirit of Lockridge's book. MGM liked what they saw. With his tenure as production head at MGM drawing to a close, Doris Sherry wanted to cap it off with a project that would go down in history as his Gone with the Wind. Adapting Raintree County was exactly the type of story he was looking for. The popular, sprawling novel had the sweep and scope of Gone with the Wind, but centered on the life of a 19th century Indiana man rather than a southern belle in Georgia. To make the epic even more special, MGM decided it would be the first film to be shown in Cinemascope, with prints made in 35mm. The widescreen camera used for the filming would be called MGM Camera 65, which was considered Ultra Panavision. It was delivered using anamorphic lenses rather than spherical ones. The system was considered similar to Todd AO, but the anamorphic lenses and filming speeds were different. The new camera system would be ideal publicity for presenting Raintree County. When MGM signed Elizabeth Taylor to star in the epic, she saw it as an opportunity to work with Montgomery Clift again. Both she and Montgomery Clift knew the film would never rival Gone with the Wind, but liked the idea of co-starring in the costume drama together. On December 20, 1955, MGM issued a press release announcing its plans for the next Taylor and Clift pairing, adding that it was the first of a three-picture deal for Montgomery Clift that he had signed with the studio. Taylor was working under a lucrative seven-year contract that she had signed with the studio in 1952. When asked about his three-year absence on the big screen, Monty told Q Magazine, I looked over many scripts after From Here to Eternity and never found anything I wanted to do. I do not have a neurotic ambition to act. As for money, I don't want any more. I understand actors who take many parts. They want catalogs and swimming pools. I don't especially care for them. I got $250,000 for Raintree County and could have gotten more. John Huston reportedly had Monty in mind for his film Moby Dick. Houston had been shopping the project around studios for nearly three years until he scraped together enough funding, but by the time the production was ready to begin, Gregory Peck was lined up as star after Montgomery Kift had signed on to film Raintree County. Monty had actually been offered $300,000 to make Raintree County and needed the, some of the money to pay off debts to his agents at MCA. Even so, Monty told the studio to pay him $250,000 and put the remaining money back into the picture. 
Use the $50,000 to make the picture better, he suggested. In the next episode, we'll get deeper into the filming of Raintree County starring Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor. If you're interested more on the story behind Montgomery Clift and his long suicide in Hollywood, you can pick up a copy of my book, The Longest Suicide in Hollywood, which is available from Upon Publishing and available wherever books are sold.